Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plan of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning in the 25th verse. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life's to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, even hearing these words read aloud and slowly is a medicine to our souls. And at its reading, we respond by saying, thanks be to God as an acknowledgement, acknowledgement that we need to hear from you. So Lord, we ask in your kindness and in your mercy, if you would be so kind to do the thing that only you can do. Lord, would you take these words that are in your word Lord, would you take the words that I've prepared and by the power of your spirit, would you shine light on them and make them alive? Lord, to the end that we can behold wondrous things, to the end that it would stir up deep hope tonight in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Psalm 33 is a beautiful poem, prayer, psalm, song. And I think it addresses really two questions. And and I think this, this poem, as it unfolds, addresses two questions. And I think that these two questions are actually the questions of all questions. And here's what I mean by that. I think the questions that Psalm 33 addresses um, are the questions that every, for example, novelist is asking when they write their novels. It seems to be the two questions that every songwriter is addressing when they do their writing of songs. I mean, it seems like they are the two questions that, honestly, um, every um, policy maker is asking when they make their policies. It's the question of political decisions. Um, I'm not a businessman, but I think it's probably the question behind business proposals. And, and here's, here's the questions. I'm going to tell them to you. I think Psalm 33 answers these two questions. First of all, question number one, where can we fix our hope? And you know as well as I do that our world offers you an endless array of options. Question one, where can we fix our hope? Psalm 33 answers that so directly. Here's the second question. 
Question number two. And if we set our hope there, will it let us down? So where can we fix or set our hope? And if we set our hope there, will it let us down? And Psalm 33 answers those two questions so directly. To question one, where can we fix our hope? Psalm 33 says, in the steadfast love of the Lord. And to the second question, to the second question, and will that let us down? Psalm 33 answers by just saying no. The steadfast love of the Lord, and no, it won't let you down. You know, I preach a lot of sermons to you all. Um, I did a rough count. I think I've preached 256 um, at Grace Fellowship. And sometimes you come across passages of Scripture that are just a little more deeply personal to you. And the ideas behind are in this psalm, specifically verse 18, that the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. These are truths that have really meant a lot to me personally. So I just want to say that. You know, sometimes when you're a preacher and you're a teacher, sometimes people ask you, if you had one more sermon to preach, what would you preach about? And, and I honestly think I would preach about the steadfast love of the Lord. I think that's what I'd pick. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Now, here's the main thing. This is the main thing I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, I don't want you to miss this. It's a really simple idea. And it goes like this. You can trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord. In fact, you have every reason to trust the Lord. And you might be like, Joel, did we really come here to just be told to trust the Lord? The answer is yes, absolutely. That's it. There's nothing else. That's, that's the thing. So let's take a look. This psalm is going to unfold in really four sections. Okay, first of all, um, roughly verses 1 to 3, as we continue to see in the psalms, there will be a call to worship. The psalmist is going to call on God's people to worship him. But as we continue to see in the psalms, a reason for that worship will be supplied. Worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is good and right to worship the Lord. Why? Why? And that will be section two. Section two, the why is because of his faithfulness, because of his loyal love, his steadfast love, these interchangeable terms, which I'll explain, that are on display in creation. So section one, worship the Lord. Why? Section two, because of his steadfast love that's on display in creation. The third section in this poem turns to something interesting, but it connects and it makes sense. The third section turns to a conversation, a poetic conversation about human strength. See, and that makes sense, right? Because we are tempted, we are tempted to place our hope in the wrong thing. And then section four then refreshes it all over again with something of a conclusion reminding us that we can hope in the Lord. So I'm going to take, um, take us through these four sections 
and just point out a few things. We won't, we won't comment on every word or every, or every line, um, but we'll just work our way through like that. So y'all take a look with me at this call to worship in verses 1 to 3. Verse 1, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. O you righteous in this case does not necessarily mean, in fact, it doesn't mean at all, shout for joy, O the Lord, O you righteous, meaning all you who've done exactly all the right things this week. That's not what it's saying. The righteous, when it's used in this way, means God's people, the people of God earnestly seeking him. Those people, you people here tonight, grace people, Shout for joy to the Lord. He goes on to say, praise befits the righteous. In other words, it makes a lot of sense that people who are seeking after God would praise him. Praise befits the righteous. Whenever you see one of God's people, you should see them praising him. It's like if you see a baseball player, you expect him to be playing baseball. If you, if you see someone who cooks at a restaurant, you should expect to see them cooking. If you see a painter, you ought to expect to see them painting. And if you see a person who seeks after God, you should see them praising. Befits them. It's fitting. It's right. It makes sense. The call gets a little deeper. And by the way, while you're at it, while you're praising and shouting for joy, give thanks to the Lord and give it with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings, and sing to him a new song, not necessarily a new composition you never heard before, but a fresh expression of praise. It goes on to say, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. The lyre is a particular musical instrument, and that's noteworthy because this psalm in particular makes a big deal about musical instruments being involved in praising God. The lyre is a, um, an instrument that looks a little bit like a precursor to a guitar and kind of a harp at the same time. And the lyre and the harp of ten strings is kind of like the same thing. It's, it's saying, do it with the lyre. You know, the one, the harp that has the ten strings. We have a lyre back here that we're going to use at the end of the service. That's a joke. We're not. We don't really. <laughs> um, and it, and it even makes mention of doing it and doing it skillfully. It's kind of saying, do it the best you can with everything you have. And do it with loud shouts. In other words, the Lord is pleased when the people who seek after him, praise him, thank him, sing to him, and when they sing loudly. It's a holy thing to sing as loud as you can. A minute ago when we were singing, I sang kind of loud and I messed up at a part and my two boys started laughing at me over here. <laughs> it's a good thing to sing loudly. Why? Why should we do all this, psalmist? Because of the steadfast love of the Lord in creation. Look with me. This is section two, verses four and following. For the word of the Lord is upright. This has to, do idea, has, has to do with the idea that God, it's impossible for our God to have empty words. His words are always upright. Always truthful. Always accomplish what he wants them to. See, my words can be very empty. The Lord's can never be. All his work is done in faithfulness. So we're starting to get at what it means, this steadfast love concept. Everything God does, he does in faithfulness. 
He loves righteousness and justice. And here's the big line. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The earth is full of it. He's beginning to point our eyes and our hearts to the natural world, toward the created order. He's telling us that the whole world, if you'll just notice, the world is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And to explain the way we see it in creation is his way of defining what it means. So, so I'm not going to tell you right now, when the Bible mentions steadfast of the Lord, here's what it means. I'm going to explain to you the image and then tell you that on the other side. Steadfast of the Lord. By the way, it's a big idea in the Bible. It's one of the Bible's most important ideas, the steadfast love of the Lord. It means something very specific but so rich and so full. You spend your whole life when you follow Christ when you seek after the God of the Bible, you spend your whole life only learning more and more and more about what this idea means, the steadfast love of the Lord. If you wanted to get a tattoo of anything, this would be it. I'm not even joking when I say that. So let's see how the poem, how the poem and the poet explains it, and then we'll try to define it. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. The idea is all the great tidal and current patterns in the ocean. The Lord just gathers those simply. It's so powerful. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. In the ancient world, to be in command of the sea meant you were in command. Because the sea is the most chaotic thing that, that exists. And the most chaotic thing that exists, the sea in its deepest, deepest places, to the Lord is like something he can just kind of fold up and put in a heap. It's nothing to him. Goes on to say, let the earth fear the Lord. Let all inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Because he spoke and it came to be, he commanded... And it stood firm. The psalmist is trying to get us to imagine how faithful God is in creation. How powerful he is in creation. And how dependable he is in creation. As a way of trying to define this concept for us. So, so think of it like this. You and I today walked around on this planet. I don't have the numbers but it spun around really fast. But never once did any of God's people today, never once did his world that he's made today somehow spin out of control. We're all here. And we're here because God was faithful to keep us. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. For everything to cease to be God would not have to do anything. Instead, he would have to stop doing everything. And he did everything today to sustain you and me. It's like this. The, the sun came out today. It was hidden behind clouds, but it, it shined. And I know it's summer, and I know it's Alabama, but it didn't burn us up. We're here. We made it. And we're here and we made it because God was kind and faithful to us. And see, we didn't even think about it till right now, did we? It's like this. The waters and the rain 
rivers, springs, you know, nourished the earth today and caused vegetation to grow. And that vegetation will somehow end up being harvested because of God's grace into processes that will yield it ending up somewhere for you as food. And the Lord was utterly dependable to make it all happen today. See, the Lord has already provided for your every need weeks from now, and he did it today, and you didn't even think about it. The whole earth is filled with his steadfast love. The tides of the ocean did not overwhelm us today. The Lord was kind and gracious today. Now he can speak and things can come into be. He's powerful. The most chaotic thing imaginable to see is nothing to him. So the steadfast love of the Lord concept has to do with God's steadiness and dependability, but also his power. And then finally, it's this idea of God's love. See, in other words, the steadfast love of the Lord as an idea in the Bible, I'll try to define it for you. If you were to take God's utter faithfulness and dependability, the fact that even if he wanted to, he could never break a promise because he's just utterly faithful all the time. Combined with the fact that he never has to break a promise because he's all-powerful and he, nothing stands in his way of being faithful to us like that. And then thirdly, the idea that he loves and delights. It's his joy to do good for his people. If you were to take that idea, combined with his power, combined with his dependability and faithfulness, you have the idea of the steadfast love of the Lord. The psalmist in another place will say, the steadfast love of the Lord, it's better than life itself. In other words, it's the most beautiful and best thing in the whole world. Verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. In other words, it, it's a call. Anytime creation theology is mentioned in the Psalms or anywhere else, it's always a call to yield and submit to God. But the whole idea is why wouldn't you want to because of how kind he is, how gracious he is, how consistent he is, how faithful he is, and how much he loves, how much he desires your good. So therefore, yielding to him makes all the sense in the world. It's the idea here. So the call, worship the Lord, praise the Lord. It is right and fitting that we worship and praise the Lord. Why? Because his steadfast love that is on display in creation. All these things happened all day long today. You didn't even notice it. He's so kind. He's so powerful. He's so consistent. He's so dependable. He can never break a promise. He's always doing all those things for your good all the time, always. And then it turns in section three to a conversation in poet, poetry form um, to human strength. Look at verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. In other words, human strength, human powers, political powers, armies, nations, whatever it is, Think they can make plans and kind of rule everything. And the Lord has the ability to bring all their plans to nothing and to actually prevent their plans from happening. In other words, human power, human strength is not the same. It's not as capable. 
as God's. Man's power is not the same as God's. Instead, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, so whatever he decides to do absolutely happens. And again, I want to remind you that that is not scary to us because of how kind he is. It says the plans of his heart, the plans of the Lord's heart, stand for all generations. And again, his plans are to love you. It goes on again to talk about human strength. Verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of the son, of all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. He's looking out. Psalmist is saying, imagine the Lord looking out and seeing all the ways that we tend to rely on our own strength or some kind of human strength. He notices. And here's what the Lord has observed. By the way, the Lord's observations are accurate. <laughs> this is not just, well, it's just his perspective. Not that word, like that way. His perspective is the right one. And here's what the Lord has observed. The king is not saved by his great army. And a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. In other words, the thing you can imagine that would be the most effective means of human strength is a false hope. And by its great might, whatever that thing is that you think is ultimate strength, it cannot rescue And one thing I was thinking about this week is the ways in which um, one, of the, one of the devil's most um, insidious tricks, or his most sneaky tricks, is to coax us to believe that our own strength will solve things. And then the moment our strength fails us to then make us feel despairing and stupid that we ever hoped in it. It's a weird kind of one-two punch. I'll just say this kind of boldly, if I might. I, this is just, I, I didn't necessarily plan to say this. And I, I'm speaking to the demographic that I'm speaking to, okay? Let me just say this. In your 20s, in your 20s, in your 20s, you kind of believe your own strength. And man, your 30s are about being completely and utterly disabused of that notion. <laughs> if you're in your 30s, let all God's people say, amen. <laughs> and it comes just one blow at a time. And it hurts. And therefore, I think your 40s are probably healing from that. But that's another talk for another night. I understand. I understand that there's probably not anybody to here tonight that is looking for a great army 
or, or looking for a war horse to be your salvation, but it's a metaphor. Go with me here. What would you, what would you put in there to fill in the blank in your own life? I'll speak for me. I, I, I think... I think being prepared enough will get me through. I think having thought about it from every angle. I think after having thought about it from every angle, gaining a group of people who can give me advice about every angle and then rethinking it from every angle again. Sometimes I think if I can just exert myself enough then. In other words, there's a thousand ways we rely on our own strength. And Psalm 33 tells us really, really clearly it is a false hope and it cannot rescue. And therefore, it's beautiful and it's good that the psalmist moves us to this fourth section. Okay, great. So where do we look instead? And it gets back to sort of where we began will have to look to the steadfast love of the Lord instead. And if you will get over yourself in your own strength, if you'll stop looking to things that cannot help you, meaning your own strength, and you look instead to the steadfast love of the Lord, you will find, you'll find that it won't let you down. This is at least what the psalmist says. Look at verse 18. Behold, the eye on the Lord is on those who fear him. It's on those who hope in his steadfast love. That he might deliver their soul from death and keep them alive even in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. So if the picture here is that the Lord's looking out in perspective and he's seeing all the ways we put false hopes and false things to give us strength and to get us through. If the Lord's looking out and seeing, and he's seeing that the king is not saved by the army, that the, that the king is not saved by the war horse, what he's saying is as the Lord looks out, the Lord is actually conscientiously looking for someone who's trusting him says that the eye of the Lord is on the one who fears him. The eye of the Lord is looking for the one who is hoping in his steadfast love. God's attention is on you in a particular way if you are hoping in him. And notice, and it's painful, but I must say it to you. Notice how the emphasis is on, is on waiting See, our soul waits on the Lord. The Christian life is a waiting life. It's a waiting life. See, the idea of hope in the Bible is of the sure and certain promises of God that are somewhere off in the distance. That could be tomorrow, it could be in a new heavens and new earth. And the idea of hope in the Bible is the sure and certain promises of God are so sure and so certain that they're able somehow to begin to work their way backward 
into the present tense for you and me to take hold of. That's the Bible's idea of hope. See, when we use the word hope, we, 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 we say something like, I hope we win the game. When we use the word hope, we're expressing something we're not certain of. And the Bible means exactly the opposite when it talks about hope. It's something we're very certain of, but it's still off out there in the future. So therefore, we have to wait. But if we'll hope in the Lord, if we'll hope in his steadfast love, it has this ability It has this ability to give us this steady endurance. He'll be our help. He'll be our shield. It has the ability to give our hearts deep gladness. Our heart is glad in him. I don't know about you, but steady endurance and deep gladness are sounding better and better to me all the time. Now, just to make it plain, these truths about God become most especially abundantly obvious and fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. The Bible tells us that it is Jesus who is the exact imprint of God's nature. In other words, everything I've told you about the steadfast love of the Lord, everything I've said, is not an idea but it is a concrete reality that you can be certain of because of the person and work of Jesus. See, when he walks on this earth in human skin, when he goes to the cross for you and me, he is putting the steadfast love of the Lord on display. And his promises are that because he was raised and because he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and because at this very moment he upholds the universe by the word of his power, Because at this very moment, he makes intercession for you. What that means is he is faithful to continue his steadfast love to you yesterday, but for all the days of your life. And the work that he has begun in you, he will not stop until he finishes it. In other words, you're going to find yourself growing more hopeful all the time. You're going to find yourself growing in endurance all the time. You're going to find yourself growing more and more glad all the time. In him, not in what happens around you. That, that could actually go the other way. In other words, you and I know this even better than the psalmist. The scripture teaches that this Jesus one day will return. All things will be made new and right. And right now we see him dimly, but one day we'll see him face to face. And on that day, Psalm 33 and the rest of the Bible will try to convince us that on that day, we will not be disappointed. Where can you set your hope, the steadfast love of the Lord? And will that hope let you down? No. And the invitation of all of this is just tonight. Can we just trust, yield, take hold, receive? It's all true. It's all for you. Let's pray together.